Welcome to a Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Natalie Cavadini, proficient physical therapist at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, presenting Locomat Robotic Training, who is the appropriate patient. This presentation was recorded on Wednesday, April 15th, 2015, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System with support from the National Institute on Disability and Rehabilitation Research, U.S. Department of Education, grant number H133N11002. So we have four main goals today. Uh, first one is to educate you guys on how we're using it currently, just uh, for your information. Um, then just to talk about the general indications and contraindications of using it. Um, and then overall, just increase the number of referrals that we get from our a medical staff, maybe from inpatient, um, so we're just uh, giving the appropriate referrals to, for the program. Um, and then I'll try to prove, you know, through a few studies, not too many, but um, and just some of my own kind of clinical practice of, you know, how we can use a local mat the best way to, uh, as an adjunct uh, intervention for our patients. Uh, so it will be mostly spinal cord, but it's stroke and um, it really varies there. Uh, so this is just saying that the locomats, um, the locomats is the name of the, the locomat pro is the version that we have. Um, there's also a locomat nano, which I believe is just a smaller version. Um, and the pro was the first version to have the biofeedback and the augmented feedback. Um, and the maker of the locomat pro is Hokoma, and Hokoma is based out of Switzerland. Um, but they also have a base in Boston. Okay, so just to talk about the referral process, um, it can really, so the prescription has to come from the doctor, but the referral can come from either the medical doctor or from the PT kind of point of view. Uh, a lot of patients just see the locomat and they say, oh, how do I get interested? Um, and it could kind of say the PT can talk to the doctor or the doctor can talk to the PT and kind of get the ball rolling with that. Um, but like I said, before anyone even like steps foot onto locomat or puts a harness on or gets measured for the locomat, they're, they're given some kind of clearance by the doctor and it's written very specifically um, that they're going to be using the locomat at some point. Um, then we, um, so a patient could be currently on the, the physical therapy and then we would just kind of continue the evaluation or someone could come as a new evaluation and we would kind of gear the evaluation towards the locomat process. Um, and then if they were deemed appropriate through the, the evaluation process, uh, the PT and the patient together would determine um, how many times and the duration of using the locomat. Okay, so I kind of talked about this, but there's, there's three options of how you can use the locomat. Um, first, you can just do the locomat only. Um, we've had some patients do pretty well with this um, from anywhere from two to three times a week. Um, and we have had people up to three months of duration um, be in this program. Uh, they get evaluated just like any PT um, patient gets every month by monthly. They have to have the same outcome measures, being you know, improving functionally. Um, we need a reason to keep them on for that three-month three month period of time. But initially, it was just said three months so that we can keep you know, patients kind of going on the locomat coming off so the same patients aren't on for a long period of time. Um, so you can do locomat only, or you could do the second option is that you can do locomat one, two, or three times a week. Um, we've had probably pretty good success with that as well. Um, so someone's working on gait training over ground, but they also want to work on their kinematics, and so maybe one day a week they're on the, the locomat. Um, and sometimes, you know, like the middle of the day for, for outpatient is pretty busy, so uh, our schedule just allows for, you know, one time, twice, you know, it's two times a week to allow another patient to get on there as well. Um, and then third option is just, there is the self-pay option, and I didn't put a price because it changes, but it, um, it is considered one of our specialty programs. Um, and I th we've only had one or two people uh, self-pay for the program at this time. But again, we're gonna say that you, know, you need to be, be making progress um, based on the outcome measures um, so that they're not, one person's not you know, taking up the three o'clock hour all the time, you know, self-paying. Okay, so the first part of it, um, I'll talk about how we're currently using the locomat. And like I said, we first um, started using the locomat in 2011 and uh, up until the present, so. Uh, 
Okay, so these are kind of rough estimates, but um, pretty close. So we've had at least 108 different patients on there. Um, like I said, not just spinal cord, kind of other diagnoses as well. Maybe a majority spinal cord, but um, definitely um, a few slides later we'll talk about different diagnoses. Um, turned out to be a couple more males and females, but uh, overall pretty, pretty close in uh, male versus female. And then um, we have tallied up each session, um, and we have over 1,100 sessions on the look back. Um, and at least 10 different, I think it's, it's much higher than that, maybe 20. Um, age ranges, we've had uh, probably the youngest is 13, and the oldest has been 80, who's been on there. Um, so the 13-year-old, um, he came to us when he was 12, and he was kind of, you know, just a little bit, um, still hadn't had hit his growth spurt and whatnot, so we said, you know, maybe not now, because uh, there is a pediatric version, but we don't have that one. Um, so uh, we weren't sure about what the forces would be like on a, a pediatric versus adult. Um, we asked the company themselves, they said um, it's not a, you know, a contraindication to put a, a younger patient on, but to use your discretion. So he did come back when he was 13 and he kind of had a growth spurt. Um, and he's probably the shortest that would fit on there, but he did kind of fit within the guidelines. Um, and then I did put about the, the nine-year-old. Uh, so she just had, wears the harness and kind of uses it as like a light gate kind of uh, body weight support. Um, but that's also a useful part of having the locomat, that if we need another kind of system to control someone um, gay training, we can uh, use the locomat kind of body weight support system. Um, the patients have been on the locomat for anywhere between two and 55 sessions. Um, so I guess the person that was on twice didn't really have a good outcome, so we didn't put them back on again. Um, and then one single patient has been on for a total of 55 sessions. Um, so maybe that's grossly three months or, um, you know, give or take that. Or he could have come on once, stopped the program and come back again. We've had a few patients uh, do that. Um, okay, so like I said, once again, the first patient was back in 2011. And I think back in that time, we really had no idea how to use this big machine. I mean, we're, someone came and trained us and, and kind of, you know, said step by step, this is how you do it. Um, but we definitely didn't have, you know, a good idea of, of how we can really challenge that patient or, you know, have the patient work with the machine. Um, the lady's name was, was Flo. Uh, we called her Flo. And uh, Buffy called her up and said, Flo, you're going to be the first patient on our locomat. And uh, she's like, oh, it's a sign. My, my dead dog's name was Buffy. So <laughs> but Buffy wasn't too happy about that. But uh, she continued on the logo and did pretty well. So, um, And then, like I said, uh, thanks to the efforts of, of Dr. Kirschbloom and, and the foundation, we were the first site to have the, the newest version that was out, the pro version. OK, uh, so generally, who is appropriate to be on the logo uh, okay, so you may be appropriate if you can support, your, sorry, your patient can support his or her head. Um, you may be appropriate if your patient can tolerate standing with or without a standing frame for up to 30 minutes. Um, so for blood pressure reasons and just kind of upright tolerance reasons. Um, you may be a candidate if your patient's range of motion is grossly within functional limits. So I would say um, you can have like a little bit um, kind of hip flexion contracture, but the, the dorsiflexion really gets you because you start from elevated position and then you are lowered onto the treadmill. So if you have really tight, um, you know, gastrox or whatnot, you're not gonna be able to fully weight bear onto the treadmill. Um, you may be appropriate if you can follow um, one or two step commands. So we have had some uh, traumatic brain injuries on there. They've done very well, um, but we've also had some that maybe, you know, couldn't really, tell us how they were doing and, and therefore we didn't you know, know how much they could interact or you know, if they were understanding us. So um, we chose not to, it, one or two stepped commands is fine. Um, and then to be appropriate, you also have to fit the height and weight criteria. Um, so the good thing about the local mat is that it can be adjusted to fit a, like a variety of patients. Um, you can have a, a leg length discrepancy, and we've had someone with a pretty significant leg length, I think up to three, maybe four inches, um, because you can set the leg lengths differently from right to left side. 
Uh, so, you know, that's kind of a benefit of, of, this, of the machine because it's robotic, but it is kind of uh, right, is separate from left. Um, you, the, the weight limit is 290, which is, you know, I feel like it's a pretty good weight limit. We've only had a few patients that have wanted to get on who are above that weight limit. And uh, like I was talking about the height restrictions, uh, probably the shortest, I'm probably pretty close to the shortest, about five foot. And we've probably had someone maybe six, two, six, three, you know, however tall he was. Um, but it also kind of measures on how long your legs are. So they could have a, you know, shorter legs and a longer torso and their legs fit into the orthosis. So they've been able to get on the machine. Um, but if you have really long legs, you're just gonna be too tall for the machine. Um, and kind of like I was saying, the right is separate from the left, so um, you can set different range of motions and offset. Um, so if one leg, you know, uh, we had um, a patient who had a, uh, let's see, what was it? Um, really high, he only had like maybe two degrees of hip extension or something, uh, but on the other side he had 10 or something, so we could adjust for it from right to left, um, and he still did okay on the machine. Uh, so this is kind of a general list of the diagnosis we've had, um, both complete and incomplete spinal cord injuries, MS, CP. Um, one of my colleagues had a, a, a young gentleman with uh, muscular dystrophy, had plenty of transverse myelitis patients, spinal bifida, different uh, spinal surgeries, uh, CBA, brain injury. I have one individual with Chiari malformation. Uh, the Guillain-Barre, she was like a few years post, so it wasn't like an acute patient at all. I would kind of be careful that you didn't want to overwork someone that was kind of newly diagnosed with uh, GBS. Um, and these is, this is a short list, but you can kind of think for yourselves that there would be other patients that would benefit from the locomat. Um, we just never had someone at Parkinson's that um, wanted to get onto LookMat, but I think it'd be great for them. I think you could have, see some really good benefits for them. Um, you know, maybe someone with a really um, a lot of freezing or a really shuffled gait, you know, we could really try to open them up. Um, so if you have anyone with Parkinson's, I would be definitely open for that. Um, different orthopedic population. Uh, we're thinking about putting someone after a total knee replacement on. We just got cleared. So that should be interesting. Um, and just overall general deconditioned. Um, and does anyone have any other uh, populations they think might uh, do well with this machine? I would thought about that, you know. So the machine can kind of move by itself without even anyone in it. So you don't necessarily need a limb, I guess, but. Um, I don't know how it would technically really work, you know. Um, the harness would support the body weight still, so um, I guess if we had that would present it, I would just kind of contact the company and see what their thoughts of it was. Um, any other? I know I named a lot of diagnoses. So. Okay, so who isn't appropriate for the locomat? Uh, kind of a lot of them make sense uh, if the orthosis can't be fitted to them to their legs because like I was talking about they're too tall or too short um, unfortunately um, they're not going to be able to use the locomat uh, if their body weight is greater than 290 pounds if they have like a severely fixed contracture uh, possibly HO we need to be definitely clear that with the doctor before uh, putting someone with active HO on um, any instabilities, kind of definitely open skin, um, circulatory problems, cardiac, arthrodesis, we'll keep going, uncooperative, significant deficits in cogn cognitive abilities. Um, unfortunately, no, uh, no one on events is able to go on just because of the, everything would probably get tangled up and um, I don't think anyone in outpatient right now is, is event certified or would be feel comfortable with that. Um, so let's see, extremely disproportionate patients, um, severe, so keywords here are just like severe contractures, severe, um, but like I said, there can be a small asymmetry in range of motion or a small asymmetry in leg length discrepancies and the machine will do pretty well. Uh, so these are kind of the, our barriers that we've seen, so we've tried a bunch of different patients 
and patients with high tone, especially a center tone, is, has been difficult um, because the machine is, is all exterior. You know, the cuffs go on exteriorly, the dorsiflexion um, kind of contraption, hopefully we'll see it in the video, um, is only on the outside of the foot, not inside the shoe. You know, so it's really hard to um, manage the, someone with really high amount of tone. We put them on there, sometimes we um, give them a while to warm up and they, they will do a little bit better. Um, but really the goal is to get someone weight bearing onto the machine and if their, their tone is kicking in so much they're going to um, overpower the machine and, and the machine will shut off. Um, again, I was talking about the dorsiflexion, really we're trying to get to neutral if, if possible. Um, so the OTs, I think there's a few OTs in rooms, called the Locomat, the Blades of Death, unfortunately, has a bad reputation. Um, when we first started to use it, um, we weren't as careful about the skin and uh, the cuffs are, you know, we try to make them as tight as we can, but there's also pieces of metal on them and they're just kind of, um, you know, it's hard plastic and so they would cut in and, and we'd take off the band, you know, take off the cuffs and roll up their pants and there would, you know, it'd be gushing a little blood in, in the beginning. So uh, <laughs> we learned the hard way that we have to definitely need to pad and protect the skin. Um, and someone maybe with an extremely fragile skin wouldn't be appropriate um, to be using Locomat because for obvious reasons. Um, again, we, we could talk about kids a little bit, um, maybe pre-puberty, uh, um, a younger child, uh, you know, they're not fully um, developed yet. Are the forces too great to, to put them in this machine? Um, if they're tall enough and, um, you know, maybe we can, and maybe they just had a recent injury, you know, but someone who's had a, you know, CP all their lives, they're probably, their bone density is compromised already. Um, do you want to, you know, put our adult version on them? Um, we've only had a few patients that haven't been able to fit into um, their different size cuffs. Um, because their, their girth has just been too great. Um, the harness is pretty well expandable, so we can get that around most patients. Um, but that's been a, a small barrier. Um, and I'd say probably my second patient that I put on the locomat um, was extremely hypersensitive to any kind of touch. And we put this machine on her that like, is so snug and rubs everywhere, and, and she was not very, very happy with us, and she would cry in our sessions and whatnot. So. She was probably not the most appropriate second patient, um, you know, maybe now that we know how to use it better. Um, but, you know, the, someone's uh, elevated in the air for up to 10 minutes, you know, they have to be able to tolerate, you know, that kind of um, being supported and just the, the, the cuffs will rub and whatnot, so. Uh, okay, so. This is kind of like the practical, how, how are we using the locomat, it was step by step. Um, when someone comes in, they're, they're going to start the locomat today, what, what do you do? Uh, okay, so this is just the screen, like the, the locomat itself has a computer attached to it, and this is the home screen. Uh, so we have four different options that we can choose. We can choose the locomat training going down, we could choose manual training, which is using the locomat without the orthosis, so just using the treadmill and the support system. Um, and then we could also do some assessments and check on their reports. So first, let's start with locomat. Uh, so this is just from the website. The locomat is electrically powered gate orthosis consisting of a hip adjustment and two gate orthoses. The gate orthoses are each equipped with a hip and knee joint drive. The locomat is then mounted on a swivel door via parallelogram is used together with a treadmill and a body weight support system and is controlled by a PC. So that's a very happy guy. That picture comes from the website. Um, but so a patient comes in, you want it to make it individualized to this patient. You just don't want to set, you know, standard uh, parameters and say go, you know, so what kind of things can we vary in order to give them the, the best session possible. Uh, the first thing that we could vary would admit might be body weight support. Um, so ideally we want to try to maximize weight bearing. I think in all locomotive training, uh, that's our goal. Uh, so, you know, I put ideal uh, body weight support maybe to start with would be 40 to 60% of their body weight. Um, but maybe over time you would try to decrease that um, and help them to work on their trunk control. 
you could also try to vary the speed, uh, the max speed, which is could be a, like a little downfall of the, of the local mat is 2.0, so the machine won't go faster than 2.0, so you can't really do any running or you know faster walking. Um, but you know, in order to individualize the the treadmill, especially for someone who's just starting to walk, you can start at you know 0.8 and go up to 2.0 or, or vary the speeds within that. Um, and then there's also kind of a segment within the program that will vary the speeds and vary the body weights kind of randomly um, so that, that they can't predict how much they're going to be supported or what speed it is. So they have to kind of work with that and kind of, that's probably an advanced skill with the random speeds. Uh, so again, this is just kind of what the interface looks like. Up there you can see what the speed is. Um, right now it's in kilometers per hour. We always switch it over to miles per hour so we know exactly how fast they're going because I have no idea what 1.5 kilometers per hour is. Um, and then the body weight supports um, it can be changed in the corner there. Uh, this is a screen that where you can random the speeds in the body weight support. So the body weight supports in the blue line and the speed. Um, so they would start at a, a high speed and then work their way down and then work their way back up again and the speed, you know, by weight would go up, down, up, down, up, um, just so that they were continuously kind of trying to work with the system and being challenged. Uh, another parameter that you can adjust to individualize the, the treatment would be the guidance force. Uh, so this is the amount of assistance that the actual orthosis, the robotic legs, is providing to the patient. So it could be 100%. So for our complete injuries, um, we keep it at 100%, obviously. Um, but for maybe a CVA or, or an incomplete patient, we can change that from 100% down to you know 90. It could go pretty low, but um, we kind of, I think I've probably played with it around 70% or so. Um, so they're still getting the good walking pattern, but they're also having to you know work in order to keep it up. Um, and that can be adjusted bilaterally. So it could be 70% for both legs, or one leg could be 70%, the other leg could be 100, or vice versa. Um, so that's, yeah, it could be set asymmetrically from right to left. Uh, again, uh, another thing to kind of challenge the patient would be to put on the biofeedback. Um, so this is just looking at the biofeedback of the left hip, um, and it provides the information of just the stance, which is the orange, and then the swing phase. Uh, so if they were not assisting, the two lines would kind of be straight, um, kind of parallel to each other going across the sc screen. Um, but anytime they kind of um, put input into the system, um, you can see the stance, you know, they were really assisting with stance there, and then occasionally with the swing, they were kind of, so, you, you know, you would tell the patient, try to take a larger step with your left leg, try to really bring your left hip through, work with the system, and try to assist the, um, the system as much as you can. I think it's the last thing that you can kind of do to uh, change up the from treatments to treatments. You can play with the augmented feedback, and this is kind of the virtuality, um, the games that are were, were programmed into the system. Um, I hear there's some new games, so maybe soon we'll get some new games, which would be very cool. Um, so, so here the the little boy there, he's controlling the man on the screen. And uh, if he takes a longer step with his right leg, he'll turn left. If he takes a longer step with his left leg, he'll turn right. So he kind of walks down the alley or on a path, and he's kind of controlling where the man goes. And he loses points if he goes off the alley. He gains points if he stays on the alley for longer periods of time. Um, so here's one of the first studies that for my presentation is talking about that maybe the benefits of using some kind of virtual reality. I think we all try to use virtual reality when we can. Um, it's pretty simple to use, so we do use it quite often with the local map. Um, the study was called, Is How You Get There, Walking Down a Virtual Alley Activates Premotor and Parietal Areas. Um, this was just done on healthy volunteers, um, and the participants were put into the local map, and they uh, used five different visual feedbacks um, and each condition lasted four minutes and was repeated twice. Uh, so these were the four feedbacks. So the first one, they walked while watching a black screen. Uh, so there was nothing on the screen in front of them. 
Um, the second one, they walked and they looked at white graphical objects uh, appearing at different locations at different times. Um, the third thing, they looked at themselves in the mirror while they were wa walking. And the third one was the, the augmented feedback where they played the games um, and they would have to you know, ch stay on the path or, or uh, catch an animal or something. One of the games you walk around, you have to catch all the cows. So that's what they did in the last one. So this is from the study. That's kind of what he looked like. Uh, the, the augmented feedback's up in the right corner. And then that was the one where the white object would appear randomly on the screen. Uh, so this, this, in the study, they found the task of active gate adjustment in the virtual, I don't know what V stands for, but the virtual reality um, scenarios required uh, enhanced motor planning and increased activity in the premotor cortex. Um, this is in line with other studies that have been already done, um, and recent studies have demonstrated that the premotor areas are activated when we're, when we're walking and during a gate initiation and adaptation. So, I mean, it's not like rocket science. I mean, these, you would expect these outcomes, um, but I think as clinicians, it's nice to, to, to read this and to know, yes, it's, it's worth me having the, the patients um, play these games. It's better than just doing nothing or watching themselves in the mirror. Um, so again, just from the, the paper, uh, our findings that an interactive gate adaptation task activates the premotor in the parietal areas is especially interesting as these areas have been related to motor intention and motor planning. Um, and it's related, uh, relevant for gate rehabilitation after stroke and may help to better understand um, kind of the involvement of the cortex during gait. Uh, so this is kind of just saying that it's uh, kind of a loop, so it's a task-specific uh, performance. It's enhancing their, mo their motivation while they're walking, um, therefore putting, helping them to motor plan and motor command better. And then um, by using also like the biofeedback or the augmented feedback, they can see how they're doing. Um, so they know how, they're, you know how well they're able to assist the, um, the robot by catching these animals or staying on the path. So there's a reward there. Okay, so that was the first kind of segment up the top. That was local mat training. And now we can move on to manual training. Um, I think everyone kind of understands manual training, um, but it would just be using the local mat uh, without the use of the orthosis. Um, and you, as you probably could guess, it was, it's a safe and effective environment to work on gait kinematics, to work on endurance, to work on standing tolerance, to work on someone's balance. Um, so in the, the rare case that the locomat's not, not being used for the locomat, um, we can just kind of use it as a support system, um, maybe for our more dependent patients or um, our patients that can't stand for very long, maybe assisted, they could stand for a long period of time. Um, you may choose to use the manual training if the patient is too short or too large to fit into orthosis. They might not be too short or too tall to fit into the actual um, the harness and the body weight support system. Um, you may choose to use it if you're unable to safely support that patient over ground or it takes you know, three or four people. Maybe with the harness it would only take one, one or two people in order for them to stand for a longer period of time. Um, also, if you're not sure how they're going to tolerate the whole setup, you know, it is kind of a, a setup to put someone on the local mat. You have to adjust the, the cuffs and adjust the legs. Um, but just to see how they might tolerate standing, you could put the, the local mat um, harness on and see how they do. Um, and then we have used it to do some um, short bouts of locomotor training um, because they, uh, someone wasn't eligible to be in the NRN or they're potentially going to be in the NRN. So, um, we put them on the local mat. Um, but I mean, you could as easily use a light gate, um, but if you, yeah, now we have a light gate and a local mat and uh, the, the NRN treadmill. Okay. Um, I'll admit, I don't know too much about this third one. Uh, we just haven't really like trialed it. And I have every intention, I had intentions to do it today or during this presentation, but um, when we first got the local mat, we tried to understand these, th these three assessments. Um, we 
it was so new to us and we just really didn't understand it. So we kind of put it on the back burner and um, therefore we haven't looked into it too much. Um, but it, it is available in the local mat. Um, they're, they're called the L-ROM, the L-Force, the L-Stiff, and they're pretty much measurements of the total range of motion in the hips and the knees, um, the isometric force of, of flexion and extension muscles of the hips and the knees, and then mechanical stiffness. So again, I really don't know too much about this. It would be interesting to see, um, you know, get to collect some data and see if there is any, um, you know, good data to be, to be used to say um, when the patient started, their range of motion was this. When they finished, you know, the month of uh, locomat training, their range of motion was, was that. Um, but we do do the overground assessment, so this could just be um, as well as. Um, okay, so we talked about the locomat training, manual training assessments, and then the last thing on that screen was reports. Um, so the locomat is, is really good at, for organizational skills because it keeps track of every time that you're on the locomat and how long you walked for, what speed you walked at, what body weight support. Um, it might even say what games you played, I'm not sure. Um, but it puts it all in graph form. It puts it into like a four page report um, and you can easily refer back to it if you forget, you know, you know, last time you walked for 20 minutes, you know, um, let's try to go longer than 20 minutes today. So that's very um, beneficial. Okay, so let's see the locomat in action. Here is a video. Maybe. All right, here's our happy walker, walking on the locomat. Um, so again, you can set what speed uh, this individual is walking and how much body weight support you're receiving. Um, that's the overhead system. So the really nice thing is um, someone can be uh, in a wheelchair and you bring down the system and then you support them in the air. So, um, you know, see, uh, oh, it walks, the video is very fast. Um, so, so you do have the option of having hand supports on there. Um, that's the dorsiflexion lifts. Uh, those are the measurements on the first day. You measure how tall they are, how much they weigh, and put that into the system. I don't really know the point of this little segment here. There's chairs. And, and then you can see also on that screen there, that's the augmented feedback. And he's controlling that based on um, how much he's using his right versus left leg. Um, so we do have our patients walk without holding on. We can see the benefit of doing that. Um, lowering the body weight support, having them stand up tall. Um, it's definitely easier to navigate while you're holding on. Um, but obviously that's not always our goal to make it easy. So, all right. Mr. Happy Walker. Cool. Okay, so I'll just break down kind of the process. Um, it takes about 10 or 15 minutes to set someone up. So they come in, you can harness them either seated on the mat, um, or if they're able to stand, you can harness them standing. Uh, you can use padding to make it a little bit more comfortable, if possible. Uh, there are two groin straps that, are, that support them, um, and then three or four that go across. Um, and it's very important to keep it tight, or the whole harness will ride up and it becomes uncomfortable and doesn't give them as much support as they would need. Um, the patient is then wheeled up the ramp, um, or they can walk up the ramp, and the harness is connected to the overhead supports. Um, and then at this point, the patient would have to be supported 100% in order to um, not be touching the treadmill at all in order to connect the orthosis to them. Um, so this is a point where they fly in the air. Uh, the orthosis, there's kind of a door, it's closed behind them. You kind of lock it in so you know that it's not going anywhere. 
um, and you bring the orthosis to the patient and attach them um, to the um, orthosis at the hips and then you work your way down. Um, you can set the hip and knee range of motion. Usually you set it the first day and then it's saved in the, the machine. Thereafter, all the range of motions and the offsets and everything are saved for you. Uh, so the first setup's usually the longest and then you can go quicker as the time goes on. Um, like I said, it's about 10 or 15 minutes. It can be done, so a benefit of the locomat versus, you know, say, um, locomotive training is that it could be a one-person deal. The one person helps the patient. Um, it could, it's a longer process done that way. Um, with a patient and assistant, we've gotten it down to 10 minutes, maybe five minutes at a, on a really quick day. Um, but the picture there is kind of from the, the posterior view. Um, the picture on the right and the bottom right, um, you can uh, adjust how much dorsiflexion assist um, the patient is getting while they're, they're walking. Um, okay, and then at this point, the patient would begin walking um, in the air, so they're walking, not touching the treadmill, and slowly lower down until they're uh, weight-bearing onto the treadmill. Um, and then you can adjust the speed and the body weight um, initial for the initial walk, and then any time throughout the session, you can change the speed, you can change the body weight support um, in order to achieve your goals. Um, okay, so in our ideal situation, uh, the patient would walk for about 30 minutes. Um, you know, I think a benefit of locomat is that they can get 30 minutes of walking in um, pretty, on a pre pretty regular basis. Um, if you did overground walking, you know, how much walking could you get with someone who is a little more dependent or not? Um, and then, uh, so that's definitely a benefit of locomat. And um, ideally, they would walk for 30 minutes and then come off the treadmill, kind of like we do in the NRN. They do some kind of overground activity afterwards. So I think that our program probably lacks that a little bit that overground kind of following up on what you just gained from the locomat. Okay, now use it. Oh, we just saw that. Um, okay, so and then progression, I mean, it's really up to you. So if you want, if you're working on the patient's endurance, you would go, you know, really make that your goal of the session. If you're working on their trunk control, maybe decreasing the body weight support would be your goal for the session. Um, you could also do the speed the same way, the guidance force against how much is the machine helping them. You could try to decrease it um, right to left, depending on um, maybe you have a CVA, you're trying to work on their strong side, their weak side. Um, and then the stars there, you try adding something that's going to make them actively um, you know, interested in what they're doing and, and so they can see how, how well they're doing from session to session by using the biofeedback and the augmented feedback. Um, okay, so these are the, the outcome measures we're trying to use on all our patients. Uh, obviously, some patients are in ambulatory, so we're not able to collect um, all these measures on all our patients. Um, but, you know, on a general basis, uh, these are the, the hot ones. Um, and then, as you can see, the stars there, um, we do try to do the modified functional reach on all our patients because, for the most part, you know, all patients can do some kind of, of reach. Uh, task. Um, okay, so I believe this is a, f a collection of 13 or 14 individuals. So at initial, what was their, mo their modified function reach? And then at discharge, or the discharge from at least the locomat program, um, how far were they able to reach? Um, so I did only uh, include the people that at least um, that it was measured at uh, IE and discharge. And then anyone who um, made at least some kind of pro um, some kind of progress, or you know, um, they couldn't just get zeros on both. I didn't include those that data. Um, so um, based on the research, the MDC that I could find for this monocore patient would be able to reach 1.5 inches further um, for I guess for a thoracic level injury, and then 1.9 inches further for a cervical level injury. Um, so, I mean, it's a little 1998, but that's the best I could find at the time. Um, and then, so seven out of our 21 persons were able to improve on the modified functional reach um, in general, and six out of that 21 did make an improvement that was greater than 1.9 inches. Um, so I, I know that we have a lot more patients that we've tested the modified functional reach on. Um, I can think of one person who couldn't even do the, the reach when they started, and then 
they finished and they were reaching 10 inches confidently. You know? So I think we really are seeing some good benefits in trunk control. Um, and I would definitely like to continue doing the, the functional reach on, on different patients and collecting the data um, because I think we're seeing some good results um, based on this scale. Uh, okay, so this is getting into the last part of the presentation. Uh, just talking about, you know, uh, I think there's three studies um, in the stroke population and spinal cord, patient, spinal cord population um, saying how the local mat has been used and what kind of studies are out there. So um, it's, 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 I can't just say that the local mat has been proven by research to be more beneficial than you know, overground walking or more beneficial than locomotive training because that's not out there. I couldn't find that, you know. Um, but I think that used in the right way, we can say that the locomat's a very um, beneficial uh, intervention to be using um, with our patients. Uh, so to, in 2012, I think I missed the title, it was called Locomat uh, Robotic Assisted Versus Overground Training with three to six months of incomplete spinal cord injury. Uh, so these were just age of season Ds, uh, upper motor neuron only, they, nothing that was progressive. Um, uh, levels between C1 and T12, less than six months post-injury, um, kind of your typical ages, 16 to 70. Um, and then the criteria was they had to have been able to stand for a minimum of one week pr prior to using the locomat. So these patients were standing when they, before they used the locomat. Um, and it was 80 patients, and the goal was to compare conventional overground training to the walking re-education program using the locomat for individuals with both traumatic and non-traumatic spinal cord. Uh, so the one thing I liked about the study was that both treatment groups um, did receive just general PT interventions. As you can kind of see the bolded parts, they both received, received joint mobilization, they both had trend learning, they both had muscle stretching, um, they both did some kind of stabilization activities, but then the type of walking treatments were, were varied from treatment group one to treatment group two. Um, treatment group one was the conventional, traditional overround walking, and then treatment two was the body weight support uh, treadmill, using the locomat in general. Uh, okay, so the three outcome measures they looked at was walking speed, the WISKI, which is the walking index for spinal cord injury, and the six-minute walk test. Um, you can kind of see at initial versus at discharge, um, their walking speeds really didn't change very much in either group. Um, their WISKI improved. Unfortunately, I'm not really too um, familiar with the WISKI, so I'm not sure what a five-point or a, you know, the LOCMAG group had a 12-point improvement, but I'm not sure exactly what that means. Um, and then their six minutes walks improved in both groups, but improved uh, a little more significantly in the LOCMAC group. Um, but the conclusions were saying that although LOCMAC training improves walking abilities um, in incomplete spinal cord injury, the functional results of speed and quality of walking were not found to be any more superior to regular overground walking. Um, so, you know, this necessarily doesn't support LOCMAC training. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the authors did mention that uh, the locomat system did have better results for lower limb strength and endurance compared to the conventional overground education. Um, so maybe not the strongest study to support using the locomat, but I think we'll go on to kind of see that the locomat can be uh, beneficial if you use it, you know, in the, the right way. Um, okay, so this is a stroke study. Um, it was a randomized uh, clinical trial evaluating the effectiveness of the locomat in subacute stroke. Um, so the inclusion, the hemiparesis resulting in unilateral or hemorrhagic stroke. Uh, they had to have no prior history of stroke. And uh, less than six months ago, it was the onset of their stroke, greater than 18 years, and they, these uh, individuals were ambulatory. Um, they could ambulate five meters without some kind of physical assistance. Um, and their self-selected uh, walking speeds were between 0.1 and 0.6 miles per hour. Uh, 72, 72 um, patients were enrolled in this study, and I guess you can probably guess the, the purpose was to, to see if locomat training 
would be beneficial for this population. Uh, so treatment group one was the, the kind of the traditional gate training. Um, it, early on in their uh, study, these patients were just doing static and dynamic postural trunk positioning, lower extremity and upper extremity range of motion, and some kind of overground walking. And then they did have, as the patients got better, they progressed them into more t difficult tasks of balancing gait um, and stairs. And they used the treadmill, but not with no facilitation, with no bodyweight support for the first group. The second group was a locomat gait training group. Um, and then you can kind of see the initial parameters. Um, and then as they progressed, they increased their walking speed. They decreased the bodyweight support as was appropriate for these patients. Um, and then they did say that they used the biofeedback um, to allow the patients to know how they were doing. Uh, okay, so this one, the two measures that they looked at was walking speed and six minute walk test. Um, the conventional group uh, improved their walking speed greater than the locomat group did, um, but then the locomat group had a better six minute walk test at the end, so compared to the regular. Uh, so again, but this study says that conventional gait training when compared with locomat training, um, that the conventional group actually great, yielded greater improvements in overground walking speed um, and distance in individuals with moderate to severe gait impairments. Um, and this is again was the stroke population. Um, but then the, 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 study, the authors go on to say in the clinical setting, gait training would likely involve both the locomat and the conventional training. So it was kind of um, the authors are really saying like you're limiting yourself by just just doing lo uh, overground training and or just doing locomat training. Um, uh, and then the final study that I found was uh, a Cochrane review, um, and it, this was again in the stroke population to investigate the effects of automated electrical, mechanical, and robotic assisted gait training. So this was the locomat plus other devices. So looking at all kind of electrical, mechanical assisted training devices and how um, they were able to improve the walking post-stroke. Um, I think I just included this uh, to say, it's crazy how you can start with 7,288 records and in the end only 23 studies were included. So you know, I always think that's interesting. All, this, all those studies out there, but only 23 fit into their the category that they were looking for. Uh, so the main results, uh, electrical mechanicals assisted gait training in combination with physiotherapy increased the odds of participants bec becoming independent in walking. Uh, so the odd ratio was 2.39. Um, but unfortunately, using lo the locomat or something similar to the locomat did not significantly increase um, someone's walking velocity or their walking capacity based on the six minute walk test. Um, so the author's conclusions, um, people that receive something similar to the locomat in combination with physiotherapy after stroke are more likely to achieve the ability to independently ambulate than people who receive just gait training without the use of these uh, robotic devices. And then they also found, based on the, the um, studies, that people in the first three months post-stroke were um, the most that seemed to benefit the most from this uh, intervention. Um, and again, like all studies say, it's really still unclear how this, this device can be most beneficial for our patients. Man, I talked for a long time. All right, I'll try to go quicker. Um, so I thought this was really interesting. The authors conclude that every fifth dependency in walking after stroke could be avoided if some kind of similar to the locomat was used. So one out of five, I mean, I think that gives us pretty good hope that this is a treatment that's, that's worth doing. Uh, okay, we'll try to speed up a little bit. Uh, saying that it's, um, it's a very safe and practical, um, that they didn't, someone using the locomat did no worse than someone doing overground training. Um, and then based on these results and what I'm seeing cl clinically, the locomat is proving to be widely used, safe, challenging, useful and appropriate in the rehabilitation of our patients. Um, okay, almost there. Uh, so who's appropriate? Um, so I kind of broke it down. So if you have a complete spinal cord injury or, or your patient has a complete spinal cord injury, 
a spinal cord injury, um, and they have a very weak trunk or poor sitting balance, um, but they have good head, head control and they can stand, tolerate standing frame, um, the low mat could be to beneficial. So someone who's reaching zero inches or one inch on the, the amount of functional reach, um, I think just putting them in upright standing position, even with a harness, even with support, we're seeing really good results um, in improving their trunk control. Um, someone who comes to you and already has pretty good trunk control, I'm not sure you're going to be able to get them to a, a really even, you know, that much higher. Um, but then for your incomplete speech, uh, spinal cord injury, maybe someone who's just beginning to walk or someone that's just beginning to stand um, would benefit from being on the look mat. Uh, and then stroke, you know, based on what that once the Cochrane Review study was saying, maybe within the first three months post-stroke um, and possibly the largest effect for those who are not yet walking. So that's kind of maybe different than the spinal cord population. Um, you know, they might be able to walk because one in five patients might be able to walk because they've been on the look mat. Um, okay, so this is just kind of saying, you know, really remember to use that augmented feedback. Um, really try to challenge the patient, use that guidance force, and make sure that it's becoming an active intervention, not just a passive one. You can, you can easily put someone on there, the machine could do all the work, and what are you really getting out of it? So we just need to challenge our patients and use the look mat as an adjunct intervention in order to, to improve the patient's trunk stability, gait kinematics, and overall endurance. Um, there's a couple new things out there. Uh, there's new games like I talked about. That would be nice. Maybe in the future we'll be seeing that. And there's also a new hip orthosis so that their hips aren't so fixed in the machine. This one allows for a little bit more weight shifting, a little more um, lateral and rotational movements of the pelvis. So I think that they were seeing that people were complaining, like you're not getting any pelvic kind of freedom in this machine. So they made up a, a new model here. And that's it. Any questions? Thank you so much for listening. I could tell my patient that I talked for 51 minutes. It's a record. Um, yeah, please feel free to email me. Come give me a call. Um, if you feel like you had someone in an inpatient that would really benefit from going coming onto local mat. Um, when they're in outpatient, you know, have them come down and look at the local mat. We can talk with them and get the ball rolling. So, thank you so much.